Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, Kevin Flynn from Over the Ball here. Hey, Dave Gallego and I have a great interview this week with a woman named Nikki Mark. Uh, she's written a book called Tommy's Field, Love, Loss, and the Goal of a Lifetime. Now, look, we recorded this while I'm actually in Antarctica. Uh, Dave's on the East Coast. Uh, the our, our producing team is on on the East Coast, West Coast of Florida. So uh, through the magic of technology, we made this happen. But if you hear some glitches, that's where it is. Probably a penguin hit the antenna up on the uh, on the top of the ship. So enjoy our interview with Nikki Mark. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Dave Gallego. Today on OTV, we have uh, the author of a wonderful book. Nikki Mark is the author's name. And the book is called Tommy's Field, Love, Loss, and the Goal of a Lifetime. Uh, Dave, we both got advanced copies. It's incredibly moving. Uh, she turns this tragedy into something very positive. Um, and so we'll be looking forward to talking uh, to her. Do you get a chance to read it as well? Oh, absolutely. And I highly recommend it for anybody who is who, God forbid, has suffered a loss and had difficulty dealing with the adversity because this really is an encouraging book. Yeah, we'll leave it to what gets on here. But, you know, a lot of like, you know, how it's basically shaped and changed my life. And she talked a lot about, you know, soccer and the community and the good, the bad, the ugly, everything else. So uh, it's a, it was kind of a wonderful journey um, to read that book. It brought back a lot of memories and obviously uh, a mother, um, a grieving mother who, who really channeled her energies to make something positive happen. So, um, so. Kind of some big news yesterday, Dave. Uh, you guys are East Coasters. Most of the production staff here on this uh, on this team. The finals, World Cup finals in uh, in the Meadowlands, huh? Exciting news! Exciting news it is, and I think Dallas thought that they had it, and they have the larger stadium. But yeah, I guess the New York market was too much to to overcome for uh, FIFA. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't count anything unless it happens in New York City, and uh, many people say that's not New York City. Uh, it's New Jersey, but um, but yeah, I think that's a it's 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 a kind of a new stadium. I mean, it's not like the old Meadowlands. So hopefully, I remember when they used to in the last World Cup that we had in '94, they used to bring the 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 sod out in trays. You remember that, and they they put it out there. So um, I mean, it, well, it, you know, it should be fun. Happens in New York, it's always a big deal. Yeah, you know, Kev, actually, as exciting as it is, and I hate to I hate to rain on anybody's parade, but I I'm deeply deeply concerned about the playing surfaces. I know that obviously there's plenty of time to get ready, but I've seen some friendly matches at, at the Meadowlands or MetLife Stadium. I've seen friendly matches where they've rolled out the carpet of grass and the ball movement is not the same and it's just not the same game. So I'm praying right. that they get this right. And I'm sure they will. But if they don't, my gosh, it's going to be, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a different game. The ball rolls differently, uh, lands differently. The play of the game is different. Right. I mean, a lot of the seams that are used to be the, the shape of the trays, uh, players complained about it. I was on that pitch for a while uh, walking around back in 94. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't there. So, I mean, a big movement in NFL is to bring full – 
grass soccer fields to the stadiums. It actually helps the players play. They but want, um, They want it that way. The players prefer it that yeah. way. Exciting news. And just the World Cup in general is going to be fantastic. The fact that they've expanded the field. I don't know how you feel about it, but expanded the field of, uh, of teams for, um, participating. I think it's exciting because now you're going to have a March, more of a March Madness feel because there's going to be some teams that really in past years don't belong there. And now you're definitely going to have some, ex- uh, some upsets, which is going to provide for a real exciting tournament. Well, here's the big thing with that, uh, Dave. Uh, a lot of these teams, when they make the World Cup, that's like being in the finals, just to yep. be able to be in the World Cup itself. So I think it it throws a bone to a lot of the lower leveled countries that uh, don't have big programs, don't have big money, and it, it gives it more of a UN feel, which I think is a good thing. So speaking about uh, bringing people together, um, she just jumped on uh, right now. The author, uh, Nikki Mark, uh, hey, Nikki. wonderful book that we both Hi. read. Oh, hello, Nikki. Welcome to Over the Ball. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. We, uh, David and I both uh, read your book uh, over the last couple of days, Tommy's Field, Love, Loss, and the Goal of a Lifetime. Um, and as I mentioned in the opening uh, remarks with Dave and I, uh, a, a terrible tragedy that you've actually turned into something very, very positive. And uh, reading your book, it gave me the feeling that I knew this young man. And there are certain type of individuals that seem to be old souls. And, and highly evolved. And he seemed to be one of them. He seemed to live with a lot of joy um, for a 12-year-old. He, he seemed to live a full life. And you've, you've taken this, this very difficult tragedy and trying experience that you had. No parent ever wants to lose a child. But you, um, you, you garnered that energy and, and turned it into an incredibly positive thing. Um, there's nothing like the, the energy of a grieving mother. And uh, you moved mountains to make this happen. All you did was what you were trying to give a soccer field to a community and all the ups and downs that you had to go through uh, to get to get that field uh, in Tommy's memory. Um, you did it. You did it, girl. So uh, congratulations on that, first of all. And then tell us about this extraordinary young man that I came to know uh, through the course of reading this book. Yeah. Thank you for having me, first of all. Really nice to, to see and talk to you guys. Um, Tommy was a player. From the day he was born, like his first word was go, second word was outside, and the minute he found a ball, he just wanted to play, and he wanted to dance and to sing and to laugh and to smile, and he was the kid that was on the field playing soccer with a smile on his face, literally. Like coaches would have to say, don't, you know, there was a time when a coach said, stop smiling, and I told him, you stop smiling, I'll pull you out of the game, and you know, he, yeah. yeah, he played better when he smiled, and you know, he was the kid that was on the field dancing. You know, when the coach was talking too long in practice, like he wanted everything to be fun and he was serious about the sport and he wanted to be a professional player. And he was going off to Europe to see if he could make that happen. He was 12, um, a month shy of his 13th birthday, a little bit less. And um, yeah, he just went to sleep one night and didn't wake up. And when, you know, in that moment, when someone leaves you that you love so much, you instantly know what's missing and one of the first things everybody knew was missing was that the way that kid played and so um and the way he made you feel it was just so infectious like come on everybody let's have fun and be serious and you know winning for him was playing and competing was also playing and and so when he left and our community came to be- together to build Tommy's field this was our way of sharing his spirit of play with others one thing I was particularly struck with is just how precocious 
your son seemed, he always seemed like he had a, a certain sense of keeping things together. And it seemed to have been, he seems to have been pretty consistent with that uh, throughout the book. Um, is that a, a true indicator of, of the way Tommy was? Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, he was incredibly emotional because he was so passionate about a lot. And so as a child, he was, you know, passionate on the field. He was passionate with his friends. You know, he had the, he would cry, he would laugh, you know, he was emotional and passionate. But at the same time, he was um, committed to believing in himself. And yeah. he didn't care what anybody had to say. He was fine going into a class with all girls and being on stage, dancing with all of them. And he was just as fine playing soccer, you know, in all Hispanic community and taking the train there and getting a slice of life that way. Like he was just, he was curious and interested and he made you feel like you were very important to him, no matter who you were. Wherever yeah. he was, where he was playing or he was dancing, like he was present and he was there. And you, again, those are the little things I never realized, you know, until someone's gone. A lot of things that you wrote in this book, uh, you know, touched me from my own personal experiences. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned just now is I've always told my daughter it, to achieve. She wants to achieve, but achieve with joy. And enjoy this this journey that we have in, in life. And something else that you wrote really struck me. You actually, you know, you talk to Tommy throughout the entire book. He sort of helps you and keep gives you strength to continue to, to make this mountain move. Um, but one of the things you say about yourself is, geez, was my life too easy? Um, was it just too easy? And I've I've said that about when I've when I was suddenly faced with a huge difficulty, uh, I, I asked myself the same question. And you know, you had a wonderful upbringing with your parents and the travel and music and your life was filled with joy. And and then you're tested in such a difficult way. Um, and I think if Tommy's look, if Tommy is looking down or, or wherever he's looking, he is uh, definitely proud of his uh, of his mama. So uh, so congrats there. It's a wonderful legacy that you put together for him. One of the great things about this book is that if somebody is suffering inside, and they need to heal, and they need some sort of inspiration. It can be gained from reading this book. So, for example, Nikki, I'm going to read something to you, an excerpt from your book, and then I'm going to follow it up with another passage from the book. And this is all about the spirituality of everything. Uh, I'm, this really was a poignant moment when I read this in the book. I'm going to, and I'm quoting: "It suddenly, and this is talking about when the when the investigators were there, which is." Uh, that's another subject that I want to get get on is the investigation. But during the investigation, and I quote, it suddenly seemed to me sitting in front of those officers in my home that Tommy's soul knew his clock was ticking and his body kept finding clever new ways to maximize our time together and make up for the precious years we were destined to lose. That's one. And then I want to follow up with something else is at the suggest we're talking about your mom and your dad and how they perhaps weren't the most spiritual of people at least that's the sense i got and at the suggestion of a close friend your mom made an appointment with a medium to see if he could communicate with your grandmother and again your father who perhaps was not a, a big believer um tell me about both of these things because that's very spiritual very very spiritual in nature yeah we were not a religious family or a spiritual family, so I didn't grow up really with either. So when I learned um, when I was in my late 20s that my mother 
went to see a medium. I didn't really even know what that was. And she was telling us that her grandmother's spirit kept waking her up in the morning, holding her hand, and she was seeing her and it was scaring her. And her grandmother had helped raise her. They were very close when she was young. And so a friend suggested she see a medium. And so she did. And my dad went with her because neither of them were believers. And she ended up actually seeing one of the most famous mediums in the world, but at the time was just working out of his apartment in the San Fernando Valley. And cut to the chase, the, the grandmother came through, they had their conversation, never came back again. And so when Tommy passed away about you know, hours after his funeral, I turned to my best friend and I said, I want to see a medium. Like, I'm curious, is it possible to continue to connect with the spirit of someone I love and have lost? And because I was starting to see and hear and feel things I didn't understand and had never experienced before. And I couldn't deny that something was happening. So that was kind of my mother's side of it and how I got into the um, the, the sort of spiritual mm-hmm. side of this healing journey. And then the first part was sitting in front of the officers and Tommy, like I said, his first word was go and the second was outside. I mean, this was a kid that was like racing through every day. His friends, when I talked to them after he left, they would call him the wizard. They just said, you know, he was everywhere. He was, you know, playing soccer, but then he was at the party and then he was at school. Like he just kind of filled up every hour. In fact, I used to have to try and slow him down. And I think that in a way, I mean, he didn't really even love sleeping that much. So I think (laughs) I did, I did feel that in a way he his soul was just trying to eat up every second that it could. And it reminded me, and it reminds me every day, you know, today is the day we have. What choices are we going to make? And how do we want to spend that day? And I learned the minute he left, I had a checklist that was two pages long every day. I was in the startup world. Um, I created operations for other companies. And I was very, very proud of how much I could accomplish in a day. I mean, I never talked about it, but for myself, that was like a good day. And the minute he left, that list meant nothing. And Mm -hmm. so it taught me, you know, even today when I get a little stressed out about something, well, what do I want to feel today? What do I want my day to be like? And I really prioritize that because I've learned today's the best day we can have. (laughs) So I don't know what tomorrow's going to be. God bless you. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, it, it's interesting, Nikki. Um, you know, I emceed my high school reunion recently. And one of the first things I said, and I didn't mean it as a joke, I said, you know, we really lacked empathy uh, for each other in high school. And everyone laughed. And I, I said, no, that, that's not a joke. And you realize that uh, certain people go through certain struggles and things. And then there's certain people like your son who, uh, with his friend Molly and, and the, the compassion he showed to Ginger, the dog, I mean, just He's one of those people. He seemed to be more aware of that. Uh, so, wonderful child. You've done a great job, um, you know, keeping his spirit alive. And and it talks to you all the time. I I believe that. My father talks to me all the time. Um, but what you know, what, let's move on to you now. Trying to take this this wonderful young man uh, who we've all lost too early, uh, and to build this field. And it reminded me of watching Bill Maher on Friday night and his struggle with trying to get solar panels put exactly. up on the top yes. of his house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Years. Exactly. 
you know, exactly. and, and so I thought, oh, poor Nikki, dealing with the state, local, and the state and local aren't even the tough ones. It seems like the the little core of 10 community people who want that park to their, their own, you know, um, it really, they get very um, blinded by, by what's, what it's all about, really. Talk about a little bit about that craziness yeah. that you stepped into. Craziness. First of all, every time I see Bill Maher and he talks about his solar panels, I just want to call him up and say, I want to tell you my story. Let's talk about <laughs> yeah. this city of Los Angeles that we love. But, um, you know, Tommy's field, it was a dirt field with holes, literally gopher holes. And it was in, you know, in Los Angeles, we are typically in a drought. And so we don't have a lot of grass playing fields. And the, the fields that we do have are not really public and open. They're, they're always organized and permitted 24 hours a day or 20 hours a day. So Tommy was always jumping fences to play. And we right. wanted to create a field where there was free play and structured play that it would accommodate everyone. And um, and there would be no fences and no locks and people could show up and just play. And this dirt field with holes had been like that for over 20 years. So it was really a no brainer. I had told him three days before he passed away, I wanted to build this field in a park for kids to play on and just give back. And he said, that's a cool mom. I can't wait to play on it. So when it was suggested the day he left, let's build that field, share his spirit of play. It, we were in. It was Tommy's field. And we started. We raised over a million dollars um, for the city of Los Angeles and thousands of people came out and kids sold lemonade and asked for birthday money. And, you know, musicians came and showed up to do concerts and comedians at comedy show. I mean, we were blessed and a community that we didn't even know we had came out to support this mission. And it, part, part of it was Tommy. He was a connector. He had way more friends than I've ever had um, all over. Part of it was we're, he was third generation Angelino. We're second, me and my husband. So we have a deep, deep roots in Los Angeles. And third, you know, we're building an athletic field for people to play on. And everyone could wrap their heads and their hearts around that and needed to pour their grief into something positive. And so it was beautiful until the community process for the city of LA started. And they asked me, you know, do you have community support? And I said, of course, I mean, it's been public and the community raised the money. It's, it's our field. It's everybody's field. Well, cut to the first meeting, there were about a dozen angry neighbors next to the park who stood up and they said, we don't want this. We like our park the way it is. We don't want more soccer. We don't like the people that play soccer. We don't want more whistles. We don't want more traffic. I mean, it was a sleepy, sleepy park that very few people would go and play in. And of course, they had no other vision for the park. But that became a nine-month delay for this process, 12 community meetings later, hundreds and hundreds of letters, me navigating um, local government, our council member getting a little bit nervous and backtracking. I mean, I learned a lot about local politics, but the truth is, I also, it was a big part of my healing journey. It was a big part of building community. Um, the game of soccer guided me the whole way. Never did I anticipate that all the hours I sat watching Tommy play would teach me how to navigate my life and how to navigate this project. I mean, I could literally hear him saying, you've been on defense way too long. It's attack, mom, start to attack. And, you know, and those little and even, words. Even, even then, Nikki, with the, uh, you know, the soccer term, play it simple, uh, really. Play simple. Yeah. Play it simple. Just by the way you're facing, 
take on what you're facing. Uh, keep it simple. You know, I think you you stumbled into a couple of things uh, unknowingly that you certainly know about now. One is the not in my neighborhood sort of mentality to people. Um, and they don't have kids generally, and they they don't want anything different. Uh, they want it for themselves. I've also had to sneak onto a soccer field, and I think there's this predisposed um, bias against soccer that it's a, a foreigner's game. Uh, I've been on soccer fields or, or fields where they're trying to kick me off, and I look into the left. They're playing touch football. They're they're playing baseball, but they want me off. And I think there was some anti-soccer bias, but also an anti-Latino Hispanic bias as well. Um, oh, those are the ones who come come out and play. And what I loved about your all-encompassing argument was it was for for all and for the community and uh, in the name of Tommy. So, I mean, you had to deal with a lot, didn't you? We had to deal with a lot, but I was driven by a love so deep. I I had no hate. I had no ulterior motive. They didn't trust me. They didn't trust that any, that was the most surprising part is they did not trust that someone could just be giving a gift. Yeah. They thought I was going to monopolize the field, that I was going to give it to LAFC and LA Galaxy, that I, you know, that it was privatized. Yeah, and, that, and that you had ties to LAFC. How about, and how about the, the lack of empathy that you described, that you had to plead your case? I mean, you're sitting here looking at these people with, with, with hope and thinking that somebody would be a parent and would understand. And the fact that you have to go through that. And then you, you're dealing with people who said, that you that uh, said, oh, you should have come to us first. And these are people you weren't even aware that you should have spoken to. So, you know, the the resistance and the challenges you had to put up uh, made me quite angry. And, and in the book, you talk about, for a variety of reasons, you mentioned it being a microcosm of society now, no matter which way you lean politically, yeah. uh, no matter no matter what your ethnicity is. So now when you deal with all of the resistance and challenges and nonsense, and then you, you like you mentioned, the micro, being the microcosm of society, how, and now that the dust has settled, how do you feel about humanity right now? Well, here's the thing is that those who fought against it, for the most part, love it. They do have children and their children love it. And they do regret having gone the distance that they went to fight it. And, it, and in the end, this is maybe the most surprising part of all, is that the field is a better designed field because of how difficult they were, because the city was not going to appease my request for no fence and no lock. But the neighbors were so distrustful that they would never get to play on it, that they forced the city. So in a way, it all worked out perfectly. Wow. That's and quite so, a and when you look at a microcosm of a world, it's like, hmm, you know, if we could just kind of realize we have different views, but when we hash it out and we get somewhere close to a middle, even if not everyone's happy, it's maybe better than it would have been with one side yeah, had you know, won and one coach. side had lost. Wow. Great answer. Yeah. Interesting. I had a coach, had a coach Nikki, that used to say, turns turn into a win. Whatever it is, let's let's turn it into a win, and uh, and you've certainly done that in this case. And I have to just say, as a as a uh, you know as a player for as long as I was, and supportive parents that I had, I think you you were giving your child the the dream that he wanted to live. Whether you're you're checking out your Austro-Hungarian roots to see if you could get him a, a a passport to to play and to be able to play in Europe, 
it does not go unnoticed, uh, did not go unnoticed by that young man. And uh, I'm sure you're very proud of him. And he was very proud of you. So, um, he... I was just going to say, you know, I really feel like he came to show me how it's done. You know, that he was, I used to marvel at him and be like, oh, you just want, you just try things you want to try. Like you don't have any fear, you know, and he wanted to be singer and he wanted, you know, and I I thought, wow, you're, you're showing me how to do this thing called life. Like, what are you going to lose? Like you have today, what are you going to do with it? You want to try something, try it. And so I've learned a lot. We try to teach our kids that, but it's amazing that the kid was teaching you that, uh, you know, a fear of failure uh, paralyzes most people and it makes them not participate in anything. And that's what I was really drawn to with this young man's spirit of like, hey, man, let me, let me give it a shot. Let me try it. Like, Krav Maga, yeah. a little soccer, a little football, like, you know, and then open-minded to his best friends, Molly, and all that stuff. So, um, so, so really, really a wonderful story and, uh, and, and about the human spirit. And, uh, you know, with all we're going through in this country right now, it, um, it was certainly refreshing to, to read that. So, uh, again, thank you for joining us on Over the Ball. Thank you so much for uh, this book. Um, her name is Nikki Mark, and um, I hope to run across you sometime. You're in the soccer uh, world there in L.A. Uh, the book's called Tommy's Field, Love, Loss, and the Goal of a Lifetime. Uh, Nikki Mark, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us on Over the Ball. Thank, thank you, Nikki. Wow, that is one strong uh, powerhouse of a woman. I uh, I enjoyed that conversation with her uh, thoroughly, uh, David, and even the you brought up faith and um, you know not a specific one, but boy, uh, those that are gone are they still with us? And you know I believe they are, um, and and she does as well. Yeah, some very poignant moments in that book where she is very specific about the the feeling that. You're still getting strong messages coming through, even though the person is deceased. It's uh, very touching. I mean, look, she lost her son. They still don't even know how he passed away, which is just adding to the nightmare. But, you know, God bless right. her and her family. Just uh, every, I mean, it sounds cliche, but come on, let's face it. Every parent's nightmare. Right. Every parent's nightmare. And, uh, you know, they don't have a reason. They don't know why it happened, but it just happened. And I think the lesson that she that she touched upon there was basically, you know, seize the day, live for the day, put things in perspective. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it was great chatting with her and uh, definitely encouraging. And I recommend this book to anybody who's going through tragedy and is having difficulty coming to terms with things. It definitely is inspirational, as I mentioned. Um, you know, one of the things she touched upon was the the anti soccer bias about a field. They'll, they'll let you play baseball, football, basketball, tennis. Everybody's all over the place. You break out a soccer ball, uh, there's a problem. And I've struggled with that my whole life. Like, right, you know, I had to, you know, throw the ball over the fence, climb the fence. You know, uh, big sign saying uh, only for football, and you know, all the things that we had to overcome to try and learn this game. So, um, and then the anti Hispanic sort of thing where people are like, you know, oh, it's going to bring all kinds of Latinos and Hispanics into the well you know, this is what's great about America. So I'm glad a lot of that is being confronted and a lot of it's over overcome. And then this game, Dave, you know, is growing leaps and bounds. I mean, you know, you work with, with NBC. It's like the Arsenal Liverpool game on Peacock, the most highly rated show they've ever had. This game's growing. The world cup's coming, the men's, the women's Messi's here, the Apple deal, all good stuff. Uh, the the soccer broadcast on Peacock was 
only rivaled by the NFL wild card game that they that they had. So yeah, no, listen, we paid big bucks to have the rights, and uh, we're putting it to good use. And you know, you, you, you're talking about the Latino market. Well, we have Telemundo under our umbrella also, and people would watch the World Cup in Spanish because we would broadcast every game. And if it wasn't available in English, like Fox didn't broadcast every match, they would watch it in Spanish. And the ratings, English speakers, were were adding to the huge ratings that we had for the World Cup in Spanish. So, uh, yeah, it's it's listen, the interest level is only going to increase. The ratings are only going to go up. And you'll see when we have to bid again for the World Cup and for the English Premier League rights, uh, then we're going to have to pay even more for it. Right, but it's certainly this model and how it breaks down money-wise, but it, it's huge. It's huge, and it's funny to think in our lifetime, Dave. The just the humble beginnings that we started is like, look, I know Ken, our producer, is a, a, ska- a skateboarder. He grew up skateboarding, which I always felt was like a sort of a cult thing that these kids did, and, and they treated soccer like that. They didn't consider it a mainstream sport and everything. And and there was a part of that that I really liked the coolness factor. Like we're not, you know, the the uh, the jocks with the the football guy with the big chew in his mouth and a coach yelling at you with a cigar, um, but it's it's come into the mainstream and it's grown at such a uh, an exorbitant rate. It's uh, it's been really wonderful for me to watch. So uh, and that's part of what I try to do on this show is is talk about you know the American perspective that we have for this game because it wasn't always like that and you know that full well, Dave. Far from it. I mean, now you have soccer-only stadiums that are sold out. People sing before the games, during the games, after the games, similar to the English Premier League. I mean, when you and I were kids, yeah, we had the Cosmos selling 70,000, 80,000 seats. But guess what? The Cosmos had to go to Tulsa and Jacksonville and Edmonton. All of these places had soccer programs for maybe a year. I mean, it's funny. I Back when I was a kid, I used to have collections of soccer stickers and soccer cards and all these teams went went belly up and are now defunct so but now you see all these teams selling out and people are clamoring for mls franchises paying big 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 bucks to get these franchises oh grand and i guess in the i think in japan or hong kong in china they um messi didn't play the other night everybody wanted them oh, yeah. oh yeah it's part of the package folks you, you take your chances when you do that but he's he's injured and and that's what happens. So, look, Dave, at the end of the day, uh, these are good problems. These are really good problems because people actually care and uh, they want to watch this wonderful game that we uh, we love so much. So, Agreed. Um, yep. All right. all right. Well, that's all the time we have uh, today on Over the Ball, everybody. want to thank the author and the mother of Tommy, Nikki, uh, Nikki Mark. I always say Nikki Field. I knew a Nikki Field, but Nikki Mark. Um, <laughs> Heartfelt, beautiful book, uh, Tommy's Field, Love, Loss, and the Goal of a Lifetime. Uh, check it out. You can get it on audio or um, or pick it up at a bookstore, a little Amazon. I still like going to bookstores, Davey. That's how I roll. Um, all right, everybody. For everybody here uh, on the team of the uh, Over the Ball team, Octane Media, uh, Dave Glego, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on Over the Ball. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. 